Hello, I'm William Henry. We've been discussing the subject of wisdom in these podcasts, and we've been focusing mainly on the book of Proverbs. Yes, and I'm Michael Penny. And we have seen that a great deal of Proverbs was written in the form of advice from a father to his son, giving instructions on how to live wisely. For example, I think it's in the third chapter of the book. It contains three types of instructions, three of them. Um, For the righteous son is urged to show judgment and discernment. I think that's in verse 21, Will. He's told to fear the Lord and to trust him. And that will develop characteristics of love and faithfulness, all in verse 3, I think. If he does that, he will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man, says verse 4. That's right. And I think one of the ways to win favor and a good name with both God and man is to be fair in the way you handle money. (laughs) Well, they say money makes the world go around. And with a name like Penny, I I should know that. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah, but but it only makes the world go round if it keeps moving. And although most people don't like parting with their money and paying it over, the wisdom of Proverbs suggests that we should pay our debts in time. I think part of the development of the wise characteristics that Proverbs Mm. talks about includes meeting our financial obligations when they become due, not holding back payment when we don't need to. Proverbs 3 verse 27 says this, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow when you now have it with you. Okay, but now the son in Proverbs is high on the social scale, isn't he? He He's wealthy and he's in a position to exercise influence. It's therefore important that he uses wisdom and behaves responsibility, particularly in his business and financial dealings. He should therefore not bring hardship on those to whom he owes money by failing to pay on time and failing to help people when he can. Yeah, I think that on a purely human level, Proverbs is arguing it pays to be generous, doesn't it? If you want Mm. to be honoured, if you want to have a good name among others, then you should be generous in your dealings with others. No one likes anybody who's mean, do they? One of the sayings of the wise in Proverbs 23 points this out quite a funny way. He says, do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of man who's always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten and you've wasted your compliments. Yeah, the miser, yeah. But on the other hand, Proverbs says a lot about generosity. In Proverbs 18, verse 16, he says, A gift opens the way for a giver and ushers him into the presence of the great. And then in Proverbs 11, 24, 26, and that, we read, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And I found that quite interesting because that reminded me a bit of what the Lord said. It sounds a bit like, you know, the Lord said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, back to Proverbs 11. It goes on to say, people curse the man who hoards grain, but blessings crown him who is willing to sell. Right. So 
So the wise son then in his business dealings should pay his debts when they are due. And on a personal level, he should be generous to others. And if he does so, you'll find that he'll have a good name among men and those who are able will be generous back to him. Yeah, yeah. Having a good name amongst men is one thing, but what about having a good name in the sight of God? Now, if you may remember at the beginning of this podcast, I quoted Proverbs 3, 4, which says, win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Now, being generous to men might give you a good name in the eyes of man. But what advice does Proverbs give about getting a good name in the sight of God? Does it say much? Yes, it's quite a bit, actually. Um, the value of generosity I think lies way beyond its usefulness for my personal self-advancement. Um, it's clear that the Lord lays first claim to our wealth. Now, as we know, of course, the main advice in Proverbs is to fear the Lord. That keeps recurring. And from that fear, that reverence for the Lord, that's what produces wisdom and understanding so that we recognize that the, the true source, the real source of our wealth is God. We've been entrusted with it by the Lord, and we need to acknowledge this by giving the first fruits back to him. So Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Well, we better stop here for a moment and explain that in the Old Testament dispensation, Israel received earthly blessings for obedience to the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so therefore the Israelite who gave his first fruits to the Lord could expect repayment in kind. And this principle is hinted at in Proverbs 11, 24, 26, which I read a few minutes ago, and it's explicitly stated in Proverbs 3, 9, which you've just read. So the first fruits, the tithes, the offerings of Israel had to be given to the Lord. And this actually was key to the economic success of the nation of Israel in that dispensation. But also, wasn't more than just the first fruits and the offerings expected from Israel at that time? Yeah, there was a lot more than that, wasn't there? Because beyond the specific offerings that are made directly to the Lord, Israel was expected to be generous, sharing what they had with those who were in need. And I think that should be true of us, too. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right there. And I think there are two aspects to this. Well, first, giving to the Lord's work directly. And secondly, helping those in need. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of the Old Testament laws relating, for example, to things like the cancellation of debt, which you get in Deuteronomy 15, or the way the crops were to be harvested as well, leaving the edges of the field for the poor to glean. In Leviticus 23, we get that. And these things were designed, I think, to make sure that the poor people were not left destitute. A lot of passages in Proverbs show the Lord's concern for the poor and also the Lord's expectation that those who have and are wealthy will freely give to those who do not have. For example, Proverbs 19 says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. And then in Proverbs 28, we get he who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. 
Okay. So, so we see again that at that time, the Lord promised to reward the generosity of the people of Israel in a material way. <clears throat> now, as members of the body of Christ, we have no such promises or guarantees. And we are told our blessings are largely spiritual rather than material. I mean, for example, Ephesians 1.3 states we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Nonetheless, we have received so much from the Lord here and now. In fact, everything we have comes from him. So we have an obligation, I think, to share it. And Paul gives good advice here to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 18 to 19. He says, commend those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Yeah, well, that sounds okay for individuals mm. in our, our private lives, doesn't it? We should be generous people. But what about institutionalized poverty? I mean, if mm. institutionalized poverty is to be tackled, then we need something much more large scale than just generous individuals. What does Proverbs have to say about money and finance at the national level? To what extent are our responsibilities, you think, as Christians, to what extent do they go beyond making donations to charities or giving our small change to beggars? Yeah, those are good questions there. But anyway, let's, let's recap a minute. In our previous podcast in this series, and in the beginning of this one, we have pointed out that the advice given in Proverbs, the intended readership, if you like, were people who occupied a high social rank and were in a position to have an impact on society. So as we consider the Lord's attitude to the poor in Proverbs, it is clear that he expects those who are in important positions to use their influence yeah. to bring about positive change. Uh, for example, there's lots of them in Proverbs. It says, yeah, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. And whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And, and that comes in Proverbs 14.31 and also in Proverbs 17.5. And then again in Proverbs 22, we read, do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court for the Lord will take up their case. And again, there's so much of this. And again, Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 states, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Wow. Yeah, right. So, so these references to exploitation, <clears throat> these references to crushing the needy in court seem to suggest that Proverbs is dealing with systemic repression of the poor. It's not just purely the personal circumstances of particular individuals. It's the system that is oppressing the poor. So the aim of Proverbs is not just avoiding harm to individual people. But as you read Proverbs 14 and 31, which you just read there, it's to try to bring into focus the responsibility that people with resources have to take positive action to bring about change in society. Yes. And that command to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves is especially challenging and goes way beyond handouts on the streets or the good work of many food pantries. Okay, then. So 
since all human beings, no matter what their rank is, no matter what their social standing is, since everyone is made in the image of God, to support an economic or a political system that's unjust in its treatment of the weakest and the most vulnerable shows contempt for God. We just read that in Proverbs, didn't we? If we ill-treat mm. the poor, we show yeah. contempt for their maker. Yeah, yeah. Yes, because throughout Scripture, the Lord is presented as a God of justice. The Old Testament regulations of Israel, including the Jubilee provisions, where all debt was supposed to be cancelled once every 50 years. Don't know how many times Israel did that. <laughs> they were set up to prevent institutionalized poverty from developing. As I said, how often did Israel keep the Jubilee? I don't know. However, the message of the Lord Jesus was one of good news to the poor and release for the oppressed. And that's in Luke 4.18 in the synagogue in Nazareth. Yeah, absolutely. And Proverbs, I think, is full of references to justice and living justly. And that's one of the characteristics of this godly wisdom, which is a reflection of the fear of the Lord, isn't it? Right at mm. the very beginning of Proverbs, we get this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Yeah, that's great. And then it goes on doing what mm. is right and just and fair. And then in Proverbs 8, by me, that is wisdom, by me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. And then when you get to Proverbs 28, we get a ruler who oppresses the poor <laughs> is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who fear the Lord understand it fully. Yeah, good points there. In, in these passages we've been reading today, there are several references to themes in Proverbs that we've already mentioned in earlier podcasts, such as discipline, prudence, wisdom, and the fear and reverence of the Lord. Oppressive governments, in the end, are self-defeating and destroy resources, especially human resources. Proverbs describes a regime like that. Ah, I don't know. Proverbs describes these, these oppressive governments are like driving rain that wipes out all in its path and leaves no crops. Yeah, that's a really powerful image, that, isn't it? Yes, and in contrast, Proverbs 29.4 says, By justice a king gives a country stability, but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. And then in verse 14, If a king judges the poor with fairness, he throws away, his throne will always be secure. Yeah, I think that's an important point, isn't it? If a ruler is fair and just, his position will be secure. And as we are talking this morning, Putin's army is destroying Ukraine like a driving rain, leaving no crops. Yeah. It's not as if the people of Russia, of Russia are all behind them in this war. The opposition to it seems to be fairly extensive, but it's suppressed and the people are misinformed by the state media outlets. The whole thing seems to be driven by kind of paranoia and fear, which I guess is probably typical of oppressive regimes. The trouble is he's not the only one, is he? No, no, that's, uh, you're, you're dead right there. That's sadly true. The rise of auto, autocratic regimes like Putin's across the world is, is very disturbing. 
And a government that rules by force rather than by the will of the people has a tendency to become tyrannical and power seeking. And that's bad news, not just for that country and its own citizens, but for those surrounding nations, their neighbouring countries. And it's not the picture of the just and fair government that the Lord approves of. Yeah, that's right. Proverbs 21 says to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Yes, but, you know, there's also problems in Western nations, too, you know. Uncontrolled or inadequately controlled capitalism tends to make the rich richer and the poor poorer. Proverbs 28.8 shows the Lord's view of a society where financial power is used to increase inequalities of wealth. Proverbs 28.8, as I mentioned, says, He who increases his wealth by exorbitant interest amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? People increasing their wealth at the expense of others. I think in the 21st century in developed countries, the gap between the rich and those who have very little is, if anything, increasing. There was a recent survey done in Scotland which discovered that the top 10% of the people were 200 times wealthier than the poorest 10%. I think that an economic model that creates that kind of situation can't be right, but it's how to change it that's the problem. Yeah, that is the problem. Problems like that can't be tackled by individuals, can they? No, not a chance. Now, global problems need to be addressed by neither national governments or other large organisations like multinational companies or large charitable organisations. Yeah, and it is a global problem, isn't it? In the developing world, the level of deprivation is getting to quite a critical stage. I think the markets in the developing countries have been opened up by free trade, which sounds great, but actually free trade discriminates against the poorer producers because cheap goods get dumped on them. What we need is more fair trade rather than free trade, because fair trade tries to give a fair price to the producers. Yeah, yeah, and it's good to see that Christians are at the forefront of the trade, fair trade movement. I mean, Tradecraft was set up as a Christian response to poverty many years ago. And then, of course, there's been the great work that has been done by Tia Fund over many, many years. Yeah, but it's not just the problems by, caused by unfair trading practices, is it? There's a the whole issue of global warming, too. Oh, dear, yes. Climate change is huge, huge. It's a big issue. Last month, I was again invited to the annual court at the University of Reading which is one of the leading universities in the world dealing with weather, meteorologically, meteorology, I can't even say the word, meteorology and climate change. At the university court, we were given scientific evidence that global warming is not only causing flooding in low-lying countries, but also it's changing weather patterns, which are having a negative impact on crops in many countries of the world. But again, it is the poorer countries that seem to be hit the hardest. Yes, at the, the COP26 conference in Glasgow, which is fairly recent, there were great hopes that there'd be commitments from governments that would mean that the increase in global warming could be limited to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Unfortunately, I think though some progress was made, 
they couldn't really deliver on that target. No, they couldn't. Uh, and even the commitments they have made may not even be honoured by some countries. The fossil fuel lobby is extremely strong, especially when we add the impact of oil supplies now that the war in Ukraine is happening. Yes, it's, it's easy to make promises, isn't it, at conferences? Delivering them on the ground is a very different thing. Yeah, you're right. Promises are easy. Keeping them is not so easy. Proverbs has a word to say about such a situation as this. Proverbs 25.14 says, Like clouds and winds without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. Yeah, and if that's true in a personal level, how much more serious a problem is it at a national and an international level? I think in our democracies, we've got a greater ability to influence political decision-making than at any other time in history. It doesn't take a lot of effort to write to our politicians and tell them what we think and what needs changing. No. However, I don't think the Lord expects us Christian believers to bring in his kingdom on earth. That will happen happen only when the Lord Jesus returns. However, as we consider the message of Proverbs, it is clear that he does expect us to do our bit at the personal level and to influence those in power to make decisions that will protect the vulnerable and work towards a more just society. He does not expect us to just shrug our shoulders at injustice and walk away when we are in a position to do something about it. Amen to that. We need to be much more far-reaching, I think, in in considering what loving our neighbour really means. Yeah. So thank you all for listening to our discussion. We just hope and pray that the Lord will guide you as you try to serve others, especially those who are in need.